Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Hey, Joey. Cut for Time. Morning. <clears throat> yeah, good, good morning. morning. It's bright and early before the kids are awake. Yeah, thanks, Joey. Oh, that's okay. I'm on my second cup of coffee, so I'm I'm ready to go. For the record, I mean everyone is like kind of awake, but we don't let the girls come out of their room until seven forty-five. So perfect. We've got some time. Yeah, that's great. That's when I need to walk on to school. So okay, good. Um, all right. So Joey, you preached the second sermon in our new series, children of light and love. Mm-hmm. And, um, so why don't you give us just a summary of your sermon from Sunday? Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I should have had, uh, the text out and open cause I knew you're going to ask that question. So we were in first John, uh, we're taking first John in a slightly different way, like approaching it thematically. I think it was, uh, Jeff who set it up as like, this, it's like a symphony where you're going to hear the same themes over and over again in the different movements. And rather than be like, we've heard that theme before, we've heard that theme before as we go through it sequentially, you know, listen to the book all the way through. We're just bouncing around and sort of examining the themes, like the way, uh, you know, a music director might examine the themes of a symphony or uh, uh, the way someone who loves going to the symphony may uh, understand how this theme is played and then recapitulated in a different key and then transposed to different instruments and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's it's a fun way to examine the book, though. It does make the preaching a little more complicated when you're like, well, he says here in chapter four, but if you look at chapter three and chapter two, and then it's referred to it here, here, and it, it can feel a little bouncy. Um, yeah. But anyway, we were in chapter four, verses seven through 12, which is just one paragraph of a longer section about love and again focusing uh well i shouldn't say again again john is focusing on this idea of loving one another if if we look throughout the whole book he keeps saying like hey god loved you we need to love one another jesus sacrificed himself for you so we should love one another and he talks about what that kind of love looks like how we know what it is uh what it looks like worked out in our own lives and things like that and so um basically what what i was trying to do is I, i sense in not just our church, but the church as a whole in a kind of Western culture and in the U.S., especially we live in such an anxious age that we focus 98% of our energy on just trying to feel loved by God. I feel loved by God. We, we need to feel loved by God. And, and it's, I even was listening to a podcast yesterday and the guy was saying, hey, one of the biggest struggles for young adults uh, in this age is I know intellectually God loves me but I don't feel loved experientially. And that makes it difficult to respond to God in love. And that's a that's absolutely worth focusing on. Uh, but when we spend 98% of our energy there or whatever percentage I'm making up numbers, we forget that um, somebody like John is telling us, if God loves you, then assuming, yes, we'll respond to God in love. But if God loves you, then love one another. And that has to work itself out. It's it's almost like we take the commands to love one another and pull them apart from the motivation for it. Because God loved you, love one another. I'm just like, okay, I got to love more. I got to love more and forget to reconnect it to what God has done for us. We do that for others. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the whole point of it. And then I, uh, I gave some examples of how we love one another in the small, ordinary, daily, habitual practices of love. 
um, ideas that I gleaned from another author. Um, we can talk about that more later if you want. Um, well, sure. Tell us the, the the ideas though that you gave us of ways mm. to love one another. Because we yeah. had a question come in about like if love is sacrifice, then you know what does that practically look yeah. like? Yeah, um, I'm glad you said that because I didn't. I forgot to say there. My in this that summary, like the the main idea was that biblical love, the kind of love that God showed us in Christ, is offering life through sacrifice. So there may be a few folks listening who have. Um, done a deep dive into faith's kind of discipleship philosophy, whether they've gotten it in a um, welcome to faith class, or they've heard, you know, when we preached in 2018, I think it was on our flourish series. Um, one of those, uh, one of those deep dives was about um, how Jesus entered into the world. He pursued us. He identified with us by becoming human. And then he offered us life through sacrificial love. And so our model for how we move into the world is patterned off of how Jesus moved into the world in pursuing us, identifying with us and offering us life through sacrificial love. So that's kind of a, a root foundation uh, for how we understand the way we relate to the culture around us or to the world around us. And so um, offering life through sacrificial love or offering life through sacrifice is how I define because John defines love, offering life through sacrifice. So mm -hmm. what do we do? Yeah. How do we do that in the daily? You know, there's different spheres in which we do that to, um, to one another in our work as it relates to the broader neighborhood that we live in or city we live in or state or country we live in. Uh, I focus in on this servant just into the daily um, kind of with one another. And I, I love this book called Practices of Love. I'm sure I've talked about it before. I remember referencing it back in the Fruit of the Spirit series, Practices of Love, Spiritual Disciplines for the Life of the World. He talks about how our spiritual disciplines, we've tended to approach them very individualistically as this is the way I connect with God. And he's kind of provocative. He calls it, I get my hit of spiritual heroin so that I feel good in my relationship with God and I feel loved. And then that's the end of it. He says, really, all of the spiritual disciplines were intended to be the way God's love flows through me to the life of the, you know, to the world around me that it's about loving God and loving neighbor, not just vertical, but also very horizontal. So mm. this whole book is about taking the classic spiritual disciplines, he says, turning them on their side and redirecting them towards love of neighbor. So it, you know, he's got chapters like um, the practice of simplicity is how we renew the act of owning things. And the practice of meditation is how we renew the act of thinking um, the practices of feasting and fasting is how we renew our eating. Solitude is how we renew our socializing. Silence is how we renew the, the um, habit of talking. Service is how we renew our working. And Sabbath keeping is how we renew our practice of, of resting. And um, each one of those things is intended to be oriented towards love of neighbor. So I was asking the questions in terms of, um, you know, do we, do we give up the things that we own out of selfish reasons like oh i just feel like i have too much stuff and i feel encumbered by it all and you know it's sort of like oh half these things don't spark joy and, and whatever or are we actively giving up the things that we own as an expression of love for our neighbor for people who don't have what we have who maybe need um what we have uh, he talks in here about like hey 
this one kind of hits kind of close to home. You don't need to own every tool necessary to take care of your house. If you are embedded within a community in a neighborhood where collectively you own everything that's needed and you're all sharing in it with one another. And that's a way better uh, approach instead of the eight houses around me, each having the full complement. If we shared and cooperated, then we would all be freer to, well, A, love one another, but also we would have more resources at our disposal that could be used to yeah. love others even beyond us. So, yeah. um, so I was talking, yeah, I, I went through like uh, this, the author here is Kyle David Bennett, book's called Practices of Love. I went through his seven categories, kind of asked a question of, are we doing this so that we feel better or are we, or are we actively like, you know, not talking in conversations or pulling back on our own need to express our opinions in order to give others space in the conversation uh, to be full participants in it. And that is a little way of offering life through a sacrifice of our own need to express ourselves or something like that. So that's what it was for each of the seven. And I think that's important because we think of loving one another sacrificially as the big grand gesture, right? The throwing yeah. yourself on a grenade or whatever. Um, sure. And forget that it's tiny little things. Like, I don't know if I've ever admitted this publicly, but one of my biggest hangups is I incessantly finish other people's sentences. I don't know if you've noticed this. Mm -mm. Okay. No. All right. Well, I'm getting better at it, but not very quickly, but I, I incessantly want to like get the person to the point, to the end of what they were saying. I'm sure Jenna notices this um, because it's like, I'm already there. I'm already where you're going. Let's just get there. Right. Let's go. Yeah. Let's move on. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's such an unloving thing to do. And it sounds ridiculous. It's such a tiny thing. And yet mm -hmm. I bet 95% of the people around me are like, that's so you know, mm -hmm. you're always trying to move us along, right? It's it's the yeah. little, tiny little, a thousand interactions that uh, are the way that we express this kind of love to one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what song just came to mind is that like Sunday yes, I do. I'm gonna finish. Your... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, can you? Can you <laughs> no, that Sunday school, and they know that we're Christians by our love, by our love, yep. right? Yep. Um. I and everyone was in Sunday school in my life. I don't know where that came from. But anyways, um, I think that our love could look really similar to um, to a non-believer. Like, um, yeah. I just think of yeah. like my grandpa caring for his ailing wife, my grandma, and he was insistent on like never taking her into assisted living or a nursing home because he's like, I'm committed to her. I made these vows to her. No one else made these vows. Um, and so he would feed her, bathe her, carry her literally everything until she passed away for years and years and years. And he is not a believer. And so I know that like, the reason why we do these actions are different. We're because we're motivated differently, right? Like we are motivated because of God's love for us. He was motivated by this vow that mm -hmm. he, and like a sense of obligation and duty, but from the outside, like it can look really like the same. So at what yeah, point do we yeah. get to tell people this is different actually? Mm -hmm. No, it's a great question. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that come into it, right? It's like, we, we look at those examples of great, sacrifice uh whether it's that or you could think of soldiers fighting in a war or sacrificing themselves for their their fellow soldiers um there are to, to say that 
biblical love, this kind of love John is talking about is offering life through sacrifice, isn't to say that all offering of life through sacrifice is this biblical love. Like you said, it could be motivated from a very different place. However, there is the image of God in all of us and common grace for all of us too, that when your grandfather is loving your grandmother like that, whether he knows it or not, he is imaging God uh, in a way that we are all called to, but only some of us recognize that we're, we're called to that. Uh, so there is a common grace there. And there is the influence of Christianity on the broader culture that that communicates an expectation that a promise made is a promise kept and that you, you know, you keep that vow. Um, uh, at the same time, and no disparagement to your, your grandfather at all, I wonder how he would have felt if he failed in keeping that vow. Would he have felt um, redeemed and forgiven by God, or would he have beaten himself up for having failed that vow uh, mm -hmm. to, to care for his wife? So there, there may have been a motivation that um, struck more at the core of, I don't want to be, a, you know, I don't want to fail in this instead of the freedom that comes from knowing even in failure, I'm forgiven and can continue to love and get better at loving. Um, again, mm -hmm. I think that's really honorable, uh, what your grandfather did. Um, so it can look the same from the outside for a number of reasons, even if the motivation looks different. So right. if we are, if we are truly loving our neighbor, and by that, I mean, entering into a, a relationship with our neighbors, uh, a relationship that's characterized by this love and by the self-sacrifice that offers life uh, to our neighbor, then uh, naturally the development of that relationship will give rise to opportunities to talk about why. Now, I don't know that every relationship, you know, it's going to be the point where the neighbor is like, so why are you, why are you, you know, uh, why are you treating me this way? Um, maybe it will. Um, I think of a time when our neighbors actually asked us because Jen and I were helping with something just after we'd met them. And they're like, man, why are you helping us like this? And I totally biffed it. I said, that's what neighbors do, which is true mm -hmm. in, in a good mm -hmm. neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also like, you know, we've known them for two weeks. And so do I say the love of Christ compels me? Um, or is it just, hey, I don't know you, but we live nearby each other and i think god calls us to love the people that are closest to us mm -hmm. um maybe that would have been a better answer um i don't know that i'm actually answering your question i think it, yeah, it yeah, would yeah. be so dependent on every relationship like when yeah. how how do we have that conversation what does it look like um maybe it's just you you serve and you give and you offer life and you sacrifice of yourself and it 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 can I don't know. It may look the same, but feel different mm -hmm. or look yeah. similar, but, but feel different. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, Joey. I appreciate it. Um, so you mentioned that you, you read this book by this author. Is this practices of love that you were talking about? Do you want to mm -hmm. talk more about um, anything from that book that you didn't get to share in the sermon? Oh man. Well, there's a, this, this book is, you know, a sermon series on its own, but um, no, I, 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 I shared as much as I could from, from this one. The introduction itself okay. is so good. Like mine is just marked up like crazy, but uh, no, I wish I could have shared. So I finished reading a book recently last week or two weeks ago that I would have loved to have talked about more, but mm. again, you know, cutting for time. Um, sure. This is a book called on getting out of bed okay. uh, by a guy named Alan Noble. And I really like 
and probably referenced in sermons a year or two ago. I really like his previous book, which, which was called You Are Not Your Own. And it's about um, the freedom that comes from knowing you don't belong to yourself. You don't define yourself. You don't have to create yourself because you are owned, defined, created, and named by God. And to belong to God is much better than to belong to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this one on getting out of bed, this is about, um, it's a short little book. It's a hundred and 102 pages and it's like half size. So uh, printed like half size. Um, I mean, the font's the same size, but the book itself is. Mm-hmm. It's cutie. It's yeah, cutie. yeah, exactly. It's a little cutie book. Um, yeah. Nice red cover. And anyway, he, on getting out of bed is about your call and responsibilities, even if you struggle with, he calls it struggle with mental anguish, uh, mm-hmm. whatever form that may take, actual uh, a mental health issue, simply the um, the the malaise or the the lethargy that comes over so many of us, um, or the sense of life is pointless and meaningless. Why even try? Sure. There's a, there's a famous question in philosophy. Uh, Albert Camus um, asked once. He said, "All of philosophy, and this guy's not a believer, atheist, uh, existentialist, um, nihilist, right? So not a guy who has this real optimistic look at the world." Um, but he says the essential question philosophy has to answer is, uh, why should I not kill myself today? Hmm. In other words, why is life living? And uh, yeah. Noble says, you know, the big question of why is life living really boils down to why should I get out of bed this morning? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So especially in the light of suffering, um, he says every day you get out of bed, you take a huge risk that your life will be suffering that day whether you are you know, suffering mentally or not. But he says some, uh, some fascinating things in here, um, including, and this was just, um, it's a longer quote. He says, but as disconnected and irritated as you feel you know, towards the life around you, um, the truth remains that some of the people around you still depend on you. Actually, a lot of them do. They are still your family, your neighbors, your responsibilities. You don't cease to be part of a community just because your mind is betraying you. The life that goes on around you still involves and requires your attention. The agony abides, and so do your responsibilities. He's talking about this. This is built on the context of the responsibility to love one another simply by being in relationship with one another. He says, you don't, Mm. you never asked, you never signed up for being your brother's keeper or your neighbor's keeper, and yet you are because you were born into a family and a community simply by existing you are bound to others sure Um, yeah it's just a part of human nature exactly yep yeah it's part of being human so you can be having a breakdown in the bathroom and your kid will knock on the door to ask for a glass of water or the dog will need to go outside or your roommate will have a bad day at work and all they need is for you to listen sympathetically while they verbally process it all or a lonely friend will call none of these are unfair or unreasonable requests they're natural and even good parts of belonging to a community and being human he says you can't expect or ask your community to absolve you of your responsibility to of your responsibility to them of your love for them just because you are in mental agony. He says there may be times when you have to ask for grace for a temporary suspension of your normal responsibilities so you can collect yourself and get some measure of healing. This is healthy in a way to love others by caring for yourself. But if you wait until you are quote in a good place mentally before you accept your responsibilities. And I'd add, before you accept your responsibilities to love one another, to forgive one another, to resolve conflict with one another, to serve one another, all that, he says, 
Um, if you wait until you're in a good place mentally before you accept your responsibilities, you may never act. It's never a good time to sacrifice for others, but it's always the right time to sacrifice your others. Skipping a little bit, he mm. says, your responsibilities to others cannot make your suffering disappear any more than your mental state excuses you from your responsibilities. Uh, he says, you can, um, you, you can always do more than you think you can because you are called to love uh, the people around you simply by being, simply by the fact of being alive. And he doesn't pull any punches. He's like, this is really hard. And he himself yeah. had many days where he struggled to get out of bed. And it was only, you know, the needs of his children that got him out of bed and got him moving in the morning. He says, you may be in mental anguish, but you need to get up, make your bed, mm -hmm. make your coffee, eat your breakfast. And, um, I think the most profound thing he says is that sometimes the greatest way you love other people is by getting out of bed in the morning. So it's, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think that what you read, I appreciate that. I think he took like the guilt out of if you're struggling, like if it's hard, we don't need to feel guilty about like, Oh, this should be easier for me. I should want to do this. I should desire mm -hmm. to do this because it's right. Um, he's like, it is hard. And sometimes we don't want to do it and not seasons of not wanting to do it, but it's what we need to do. It's the right thing to do. It's yeah. like, at least take the guilt or shame out of mm -hmm. like struggling mm -hmm. through it, you know, for a season. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, um, the, the ancient theologian, uh, Augustine defined uh, courage as, uh, love confronting a difficult circumstance or difficult situation, uh, whether it's confronting it in the, like the big, the one big fight or the long, slow, repeated daily sacrifice uh, or struggle. And yeah, for many of us, I think we have to honestly admit in church and everywhere else that for many of us, maybe most of us, uh, the biggest struggle is to getting out of bed and loving the people we live with well. And that we should not feel guilty about that. That's that should be courage that is applauded and, mm -hmm. and recognized and appreciated because the world we live in is not built for us. It's not made for us. Uh, in his previous book, You Are Not Your Own, he talks about uh, zoo animals that will just wander their enclosures uh, incessantly, behavior they never exhibit in the wild but a lion will just pace and pace and pace and pace in a circle never does it out in the jungle of the savannah or wherever lions live uh, but does it in the zoo and uh the the ailment is called zoocosis it's a psychosis that comes from being within captivity and he says he asked the question why just because they're living in a world not built for them mm -hmm. and that so mm -hmm. much of what we deal with as human beings comes from living in a world not a fallen world not built for us and right. yeah so we we have the courage to love our neighbors and our families uh, and our church by getting out of bed in the morning, by offering life to the people around us through the sacrifice of our own wants, desires, needs, uh, opinions, things, all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do that in small, those small, small ways. And, um, you know, can I just ask one last question? Like, yeah. what if what if someone feels like they're doing this well right now? They're in a season where they're like, hey, I actually think, not that they there's never room for improvement, but they're like, yeah. I'm yeah. doing this. I'm getting out of bed. I'm 
motivated by God's love. Um, but they um, maybe feel under like unappreciated mm, or yeah. like they're like unseen. It's like, oh, do you not see what I'm doing all the time for you? I don't know. I'm just thinking like, even as a mother, I'm just like, uh-huh. I do, you do this for kids <laughs> and it's totally unappreciated or whatever. It doesn't even have to be kids. It could be your spouse. And like, that's even more difficult because at least for kids are like, oh, whatever. That's their kids. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, like, I think just some encouragement. Do you have any encouragement like, God sees that God yes, sees exactly. you and like I don't know what would you say well I was thinking the same thing it's like yeah when you pour the into your kids you just pour it is such a one-sided thing you pour and you pour and you pour and you pour and if you're lucky someday they'll invite you to Christmas right yep. <laughs> or take care of you when you're older and you're like hey yep. that's just the nature of the calling um that's yep. the way it is I, I was I was thinking the exact same thing that um it's in a different context but Jesus says over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, um, what your father, you know, what you do in secret, your father sees you doing in secret mm-hmm. and you will be rewarded. Um, that is the, the the natural event is end of so much uh, sacrifice. On one level, I'd say, you know what? These, if love is offering life through sacrifice, that includes the sacrifice of the need to be recognized as loving yeah. yep. on the one hand. I agree with that. So we definitely, we all, myself foremost, have room to grow there um but the need to be recognized for doing well for doing good for doing a good thing is an innate human need we are designed to be recognized to hear well done right Mm -hmm. absolutely designed for it and to not have it uh is a loss of a real of an actual good thing that human beings are designed for we're designed ultimately to hear it from god but we're also in community with one another and designed to uh, hear it from one another. So sure. I would, the, what I would say to the person who feels like they're not being appreciated for the sacrifices they they are making is a look towards look towards heaven first, look towards God first. Know that your heavenly Father sees what you're doing in secret. Um, B, have an honest conversation with the people closest around you to say. Um, I I am willing to sacrifice being recognized because I love you. But also we're in a relationship in which we're, we give life to each other. So if you would be able to do this more often, it would really, it, it would give me life and help us be in a closer relationship. And then the third thing, what did I say? A, two, and next, there we go. Um, thing <laughs> number next would be <laughs> um, double your own efforts to show appreciation to others. Uh, because if you and your family culture, if you continue to put appreciation sort of into the bloodstream of your family culture, um, it will slowly over time change uh, your family's culture to where you're all showing that more often to one another. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Those are great steps. Let's end there, Joey. I appreciate right. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for your time. And uh, we look forward to chatting again next week. Yes. Next week, we'll be back in First John 1. We'll be talking about walking uh, in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So okay. here's some some fun stuff. What does John mean when he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And then two or three chapters later, he says, if we uh, go on sinning, then uh, we prove that we're not children of God. It's like, hold on a second. Those don't go together. So we're going to have to talk about that a little bit. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Joey. All right. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.